Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We conclude the road to redemption. Uh, Week number one, I don't know if you can remember that far back, but we started with the supper where we dealt with the issue of betrayal. Uh, week number two was the garden, where we dealt with the issue of suffering. Week number three, which was Good Friday morning, which is a phenomenal service, we looked at the cross, dealing with the issue of love. And then just last week on Resurrection Sunday, we looked at the grave, dealing with the issue of the resurrection. And the reason I feel strongly to share this particular message today to conclude our series is because this is a post-resurrection event. This is a post-resurrection moment. And it's that moment where two disciples were on the road to Emmaus. And so this is week five. We're looking at the road to Emmaus. And we're going to be dealing with the issue of disappointment. Everyone say disappointment. And the interesting thing about this is the disappointment the disciples felt post-resurrection. And I think there's something for us to glean and learn from for us who live in post-resurrection dispensation and yet still have to deal with disappointment. And so if you would turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 24, reading from verse 13. You can uh, follow on the screen with me if you wish. It says, now that same day, this is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This particular day, this same day the Scripture is talking about is the Sunday, the Sunday that we celebrated just last week, Resurrection Sunday. It's on this same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising Him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked Him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But he, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said He was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Let's stop there just for a moment. As I've already mentioned, this account is a post-resurrection account. And that makes it applicable to each and every one of us because we live post-resurrection. This is the very day that Jesus Christ Himself had risen from the dead. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. This is such a significant, significant, significant moment 
in the life of Christianity. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the greatest day in history. It's an amazing moment in time. And you would think with that being the case, these disciples would be excited, they would be impassioned, but they're not. They are the exact opposite. They are downcast and as a result, they are discouraged, they're disappointed and they are totally, totally disillusioned. And before we get too critical of these two disciples, I want us to put ourselves in this story and not view this story with the eyes of divinity, but the eyes of humanity. See, what happens more often than not when we read the Scriptures, because we know the end of the story, we put our play, our position, ourselves sorry, in the position of God and not the disciples. And we miss what Jesus and God Himself is trying to teach us through the Scriptures. And so if we just put this story on pause for a moment and not act as if we know the end of the story, we will come off, I'm sure you would agree, looking much like the two disciples, more than we do like Jesus in this story. And if we can place ourselves in that position, then we might just learn something today because these disciples learnt an incredible lesson and it's one I trust that we will learn for ourselves today. This is what I know. No one is immune to getting discouraged. No one is immune to getting disappointed and no one is immune to being disillusioned. None of us are immune from these feelings, even in this post-resurrection era. And the problem with these feelings that we have is if we allow these feelings to govern our lives, they will take us to places that are unhelpful. And that's exactly what we see with these two disciples. The result is of them being led by their disillusionment, their disappointment and their discouragement is that we see them walking away from the promises of God. In their disappointment, they said, we're going home. I've had enough. And so instead of saying in the city of Jerusalem, they went northwest of Jerusalem to a small town called Emmaus, which was some seven miles away. And instead of staying in Jerusalem, they headed home. What bugs me most about this portion of Scripture is not that they left, it's when they left. I mean, if you reread the account, they said themselves, they said it was the same day. They knew that Jesus said He would rise on the third day. And they said, what's more, it is the third day. You would think if you were going to quit, you would at least wait till that third day was over. You would think they would at least wait until the full third day had happened and wait till the fourth day to be able to say, look, nothing's happened. But it's while they were in the midst of the third day, while they were in the midst of their breakthrough, while they were in the midst of their miracle, they decide to give up. And I wonder how many of us right now are in the midst of our breakthrough, are in the midst of our miracle, and yet we feel like giving up. Can I say to you, hang around one more day. 
What's more crazy about this story is the account that they gave Jesus. Not that they recognised Jesus, but the account they gave was, what's more, it's the third day. And not only that, some of our women went to the tomb and guess what? The tomb was empty. I mean, you'd think, man, it's the third day. Jesus said the third day. You'd think with the account of the women, you'd think that would be enough to stay. But it gets even worse. They said, and these women reported that they had an angelic, angelic visitation. And the angel said, he's not here, he is risen. And yet they're still so discouraged, they walk away. I mean, it doesn't make sense when you stop and look at the story. It doesn't make sense. The fact that they were still in the third day, the fact that the women came back reporting what they reported and the angels themselves reported of a story that Jesus Christ Himself had risen from the dead. I say this to encourage you, don't give up too soon. There are too many people that are just walking away from church. I don't know if you've ever been guilty of this when you think, I'm not going to church today and you miss out on going and then you speak to somebody who went to church that day and they're like, oh my gosh, today was amazing. And you're like, oh, I should have gone. It's the one time you don't go. Has anyone else found that? It's the one time you don't go. We miss out. I want to encourage you today not to give up. Not to give up in the midst of what God is doing in your circumstance and in your situation. And if we let our discouragement and our disillusionment and our disappointment lead us, it always leads us away from the promises of God. Our discouragement and our disappointment never lead us to the promises of God. They always lead us away from the promises of God. And so if you're disappointed this morning, if you're disillusioned this morning, You're in a great place. You're in a great place to hear a great word to help you place that disappointment because we all get disappointed. Being disappointed in itself is not the problem. It's what we do with our disappointment. Don't let your disappointment take you away from the promises of God because that's what we see going on here with these two disciples. Secondly, their disappointment stopped them recognising Jesus. You've got to get this, church. Disappointment will stop you seeing what is before your eyes. The amazing thing again about this story is they were talking about Jesus. It wasn't like they were talking about the football. It wasn't like they were so disillusioned that they weren't even talking about Jesus. They were actually talking about Him. They were talking about Jesus and then Jesus comes and joins in on their conversation. Don't you find this ironic that they are talking about Jesus, Jesus comes and joins them and yet they can't see Jesus. That's why some people can come to church, we can talk about Jesus, we can experience His presence and some say, I didn't see Jesus. Sometimes we're so cynical, so bitter, so twisted, so disappointed that we can't even see what's before our very eyes. Don't let disappointment stop you and rob you seeing what is before your very eyes. Question, what is Jesus doing in your life right now that you can't quite see? What's He doing? What's He doing? Remember at the beginning of 2016, I prayed this audacious prayer that it would be my greatest year ever. Prayed that along with many other prayers. And as you know, we experienced the craziest year that this church has ever experienced. 
And part of that was my personal health and found myself in hospital fighting for my life. And as a result of that, I had to have heart surgery, etc., etc., etc. And then I got to t- December of that same year, December 31st, and I started looking back over the year. I remembered my prayer at the beginning on January 1 that this would be our greatest year ever, that it would be my greatest year ever. And I started accounting of all the tragedy that happened last year. And many of you were affected by the different elements of those tragedies. And I started thinking back, did anything good come from this year? And I remember with the eyes of hindsight, with tears in my eyes, thinking about how gracious God had been to me. And I remember saying, Lord, I want to thank you for what proved to be one of my greatest growth years ever. I didn't say my easiest year. I didn't say my most delightful year. But that wasn't my prayer at the beginning of the year. I didn't pray that I'd have the most delightful year. I prayed to be my biggest growth year. And as I reflected over 2016, I came to this conclusion. I've grown more in 2016 than I've ever grown before. And then I started remembering all the different graces that God had given me over that time and how unbearable it would have been had those graces not appeared to me. And I'm so grateful that those graces were there for me to take a hold of. You see, what makes grace so amazing is that it's many faceted. It comes in many ways and many shapes. And one of those graces to us is God's people. Some of those graces is just the care and the kindness of God's people. And I'm so grateful for that. For me, one of the graces over that time was the stepping up of our team. Our team has never been the same again. And I'm so grateful for that being one of the graces to me, that in my absence and in my inability to do what I would do on a regular basis, the team stepped up. And I'm so grateful for that grace to me. I think of how the people rallied around and looked after us and our family during that time. And I'm so grateful to the grace that was, that was there. But if I'd let my disappointment get a hold of me, I wouldn't have seen that. If I just held on to that, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did I have to get sick? Why did I have to have a heart surgery? I realised had it not been for my heart surgery, maybe I would not have made the connection with little Jasmine the way we did. And maybe we wouldn't have an incredible testimony that went up on social media just this week and is reaching the world right now and touching people who are far from God. Hey, who knows? Without this story, without this story. And I want to tell you, as tragic as 2016 was, God was there. And so no matter what you face personally and no matter what disappointment was caused in your world because of what you faced, don't let disappointment be the thing that dictates your life. Because if it becomes a thing that dictates your life, you will not see Jesus. You will not see His grace. You will not see His provision. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus and not the disappointment, I didn't say you wouldn't be disappointed. I'm talking about placing your disappointment. Do you know one of the graces to us is a strong word from our Father that loves us. That can be a grace to us. 
And so I want to encourage you today, church. Do not let the disappointment that we feel, even post-resurrection, rob us from seeing what is before us. And thirdly, we see that in their disappointment, these disciples began to question God. Can you see yourself in this story now, not just these disciples? Can you see that? They began to question God. When we face disappointment and we let disappointment rule our lives, it will always end up questioning God. Jesus asked the disciples a question. They said, what are you discussing? Now, Jesus at that moment knows exactly what they're discussing. This is not for information for Him. This is for Him to help them see where they are at. And then Cleopas, which is the only one that is named in this story other than Jesus, he says this, which I find amazing. He says, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what has happened? I mean, this is Jesus, the one they're talking about. And he's being accused of not even knowing what's going on. Jesus must be thinking, I created the story. Without me, you wouldn't be discussing this. I made the story. And here he is being accused and questioned. And I wonder how often we do that. God, can't you see? Are you the only one that can see that we're not suffering here? Lord, it's apparent to everyone in our church that 2016 was a tough year. Can't you see that, God? Are you the only one who doesn't know that? That's what's going on here. Jesus is being accused of the thing that He understands the most. And that's what disappointment does every time. When we let our disappointment lead our lives, it always causes us to ask questions of God and make accusations of Him. There are two sisters, Mary and Martha, One was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Her name was Mary. But Martha had a love language of service. And so she wanted to serve Jesus. And so she got so distracted with her love language, she forgot what was going on. And she's getting ticked off with the sister. But not only is she getting ticked off with the sister, now she's getting ticked off with Jesus. And she can't help herself. She's trying to be the good servant girl. And she's trying to minister out of her love language and bringing her love language into the equation and then she just can't help herself and she explodes and she screams at Jesus. She says, Jesus, don't you care? And here's Jesus being accused of the one thing that He does more than anybody else and that is care. Because at that moment, and Jesus points this out, and says, Martha, you're distracted by many things. And disappointment is something that will distract you. And in your distraction, you'll end up making accusations against God, accusations against Jesus, accusations against the church that are inaccurate. And we want to stay away from that as much as we possibly can. And so before we get too discouraged today, I want to remind you that life with Jesus is a journey. And this road to Emmaus represents a road that we were all on. It wasn't just these two disciples, it's all of us are on this same road. I want to highlight a few of those things and then we're done this morning. The first one is simply this, 
that we are on a road of companionship. Ever say companionship. In verse 15, it says, As they talked, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. See, the road to Emmaus indicates Jesus' desire to walk with each and every one of us. When Jesus was born, He was to be given the name Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. When Jesus chose the 12 disciples, He chose those that He wanted to be with. See, Christianity in its purest, simplest form is a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, first and foremost, wants to be with you. He doesn't want to change you. He wants to be with you. And being with Him will change us, but that's not the goal. That's the byproduct. The goal is that we would spend time with Him. This road that we are on is a road of companionship. And Jesus shows His desire to be with His disciples as He just slips into their life. And Jesus desires to be with each and every one of you this morning. He desires to be with each and every person in the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And the encouraging thing is that this is a message for everyone. No matter who you are, God wants to be with you. I love the fact that of the two disciples that are mentioned, only one of them is named. There is this unnamed disciple in this story. We do not know his name. And that's encouraging because some of you feel like nobody knows me. Nobody knows my name. It's amazing when I meet people on the door and I mention them by name and say, you know my name. It's like, it's, it's, like it's, 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 it's comical. I get this all the time. Wow, I didn't know you knew my name. Now, the reality is, I don't know everyone's name. As the church is growing, it's harder and harder to know everyone's name. But where I can, I try to remember as many names as possible. But here's the good news. Even if I don't know your name, God knows your name. If you are unnamed and seemingly insignificant in your thinking, know this, that you're important to God and He wants to spend time with you. And so if you are never up on stage or if you never become a leader in the church or you never have a position of prominence, that's fine. God still wants to spend time with you. That's what He wants to do. He wants to spend time with you, no matter who you are. And here's the more encouraging thing. It's not only a matter of who you are, but it doesn't matter where you are. This story highlights that God wants to be with you no matter who you are and no matter where you are. These disciples were walking away from where they should be. They were not walking toward God, they were walking away from God. Much like Jonah in the Old Testament, he was running away from God and God pursued him and he got swallowed up by a whale and spat back to where he should be. And Jesus is doing the same thing to these two disciples. They're walking away from God. They are disillusioned. They are downcast. They have had a gutful. They have had enough. And Jesus says, no matter who you are, and doesn't matter where you are, you just here I am. That's encouraging. That's encouraging news that Jesus wants to be with us no matter who we are and no matter where we are. And so no matter what you've been doing last night, no matter what you did this morning when no one was watching, and no matter what you looked at that you shouldn't have looked at, and no matter what you said that you shouldn't have said, 
Well, no matter what you did that you shouldn't have did. (laughs) Jesus is there because he wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. So even if you're off course, even if you know you're not where you should be, take heart that Jesus is with you and He wants to help you. Even if you're on a detour and going away from the direction that you should be, that's fine because Jesus is with you. This road and this journey that we're on is a road of companionship. And secondly, it's a road of conversation. We see that in this story, Jesus not only joins them, but He actually converses with them. He not only wants to be with them, but He actually wants to get to know them. And I love this portion of the text. He asks them this question, what are you discussing together as you're walking along the road? When Jesus asks questions that He knows the answer to, we have to ask ourselves, why is He asking the question? And I believe what Jesus is trying to highlight is that He is interested in your life. He's interested in your dreams. He's interested in your desires. He's interested in your aspirations. But He's also interested in your fears. He's interested in your worries. He's interested in your doubts. He's interested in your disbelief. He's interested in those things because He's interested in you. So Jesus is looking at them. Their faces were downcast. He knew they were struggling. And what He was effectively saying is, talk to me. Talk to me. Jesus is the great empathetic listener. And I think what we've got good at as the church by and large, not just our church, but the church, is putting on our masks, putting on our filters and showcasing our good holy parts. But Jesus is saying, let's take the filters off. Let's just talk to me. Just talk to me. Scripture says, God did not give me a spirit of fear. That doesn't mean you don't have one. It just means God didn't give it to you. We quote these Scriptures when we're afraid, God didn't give me a spirit of fear. Yeah, 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 that's great, but you still have one. What are you going to do about that? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the fear that you have. Let's not deny it's there. See, my biggest fear is that as, you've been, as we are Christians for a number of years, we learn to play a game. We learn to know what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And so then we just showcase what is acceptable and we don't showcase what is not acceptable. And Jesus is trying to break down the walls. They just talk to me, guys. I know what you're thinking anyway. We've raised three children and are still raising three children. But we've had this conversation many times. And I want our kids to grow up in an environment where they can talk to me about anything. And I love the fact that our kids can come and just talk. And our conversations are many and varied. And we do talk about their dreams. We do talk about their hopes and their aspirations. We talk about what they want to do when they grow up. But we also talk about their very real fears, concerns, their hurts, their pain. There's been as much tears as there has laughter in our conversations. And I think those conversations 
are the conversations Jesus wants to be a part of. I'm not married, Lord. And I'm afraid I'll never get married. Let's talk about that. And in talking about it, Jesus wants to get to the root issue of our biggest concern. Some of you are saying, I am married, Lord, and I wish I wasn't married. Sister, <laughs> let's talk about it. And some are saying, God, we can't have children. A life without children, I can't bear that. He says, let's talk about it. Others are saying, God, those kids you gave me, I want to work. Let's talk about it. It's amazing. The people that we deal with, we're praying one minute for people to give birth to children that are barren. And the next we're praying for people who've got wayward children who are causing all kinds of hassles. It's ministry life. And the invitation from Jesus, come. You who are tired, weary, burnt out on religion, come on, let's talk. Let's put away the filters. This doesn't have to be Instagrammed. We don't need to put this one on social media. Let's just talk. Because in talking, we get to the real issue. And Jesus is great at boring down and getting to the real issue and our biggest fears and our biggest concerns. And so to someone who's afraid of not being married, he'll say, why is that? And boring down, and at the end of the day, it's about your fear of being alone. I'm not saying that's true of the people in this room, but it could be that. And Jesus wants to talk about it. And we can deal with the real issue. Because if we go into a marriage thinking that's going to solve my problem, but the real issue is something else, we bring a problem into the marriage. If you're afraid of being alone and then you get married, that's putting a pressure on that relationship that Jesus wanted to save us from. So let's talk. And to the best of our ability as a church and me as a leader, I've tried to model this to the best of my ability. Let's talk. Let's get real. Let's get honest. Let's get open. And let's get to the real issue. Because this is a road that we're all on. It's a road of companionship. It's a road of conversation. But it's also a road of challenge. If we go back to our text, reading from verse 25, Jesus, the empathetic listener, says this, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they argued with him strongly saying, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and he began to give it them. And in verse 31, it says, Then their eyes were opened and they recognised Him and He disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within while He talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. It's a road of companionship. It's a road of 
conversation and it's also a road of challenge. Jesus said this, and they're quite strong words. He says, how foolish are you and how slow you are to believe what the prophets said about the Messiah. And as I've already mentioned, while he's very much the empathetic listener, he's also the great challenger. And what I love in what he does, he challenges them with the Scripture. He doesn't challenge them with the evidence of his resurrection right there. Jesus could have said, are you so learned? It's me. But he didn't. He actually took them back. He's trying to teach them something. He's trying to say all the evidence was in the Word of God. And he went from Moses to all the other prophets proclaiming how the Messiah must suffer. The Messiah must suffer. Before glory, there must be pain. Before glory, there must be suffering. Hey, Jesus, uh, Moses, sorry, and the prophets all said that. And what he was doing was, I believe, adjusting a theological bent within the Jewish culture and thinking. Because the Jews loved the glory. They just didn't like the suffering. They believed in a Messiah to come, but they believed in a glorious Messiah. One who would uh, remove the Roman tyranny from their lives. They believed in that Messiah, but they didn't want anything to do with the suffering Messiah. And Jesus said, oh, no, no, if you listen to Moses, if you listen to the prophets, you would know the Messiah had to suffer. And I think this is a point whereby we become unstuck because we all want the glory. We all want the blessing. We all want the favour. We all want the good stuff. But we don't like the suffering. We don't like the pain. And this Jesus that we follow suffered. And if the founder of our faith suffered, the followers of the faith will suffer. It's par for the course. And Jesus is trying to say, if you want me, you've got to have all of me. The good times and the bad times, the pain and the gain. It's both and. And He takes them to the Word of God. And their response was, and we find this later, they said, were our hearts not burning? See, the result in Jesus speaking to us is a little thing I like to call heartburn. Have any of you ever had heartburn? You've eaten something that doesn't agree with you. You've eaten something too quickly and you get this, oh, this, Oh, just, oh, it's burning, burn, oh. And that heartburn is trying to tell you something. It's trying to get your attention. It's trying to tell you that your body doesn't like spicy food. It's trying to tell you that your body doesn't like inhaling food. It likes chewing food. It's trying to get your attention on something that you did that was unhelpful and unhealthy to you and your body. The pain is there for us to learn from. That we can make a change for the future. And when Jesus is speaking to us from His Word, and when we read the Scriptures, thank God for all the good ones we like. But there are other ones that we're just going to be like, oh, I just don't know, I like that. And at that moment we say, why did that hurt so much? And I tell you what we tend to do with it. We either ignore it or we justify it. And by justifying it, this is what we do. 
There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. We confuse conviction of the Holy Spirit with condemnation. And so God cannot speak to us. If I feel bad about anything, it's just condemnation. And I am no longer under condemnation. Now the Holy Spirit loves you as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And He will use His Word and He will use leaders and other people to bring things to our attention that may not make us feel as comfortable or as nice as other times, but it's all important and it's all part of our growing process. And so this road that we're all on is a road not only of companionship and conversation, but it also is a road of challenge. And Jesus is encouraging us to receive the challenge. Let's just not take a quickies and just try and get rid of the pain. Let's, let's deal with the pain. Got some people that just live with quickies. They have a meal, quickies, meal, quickies. And they just, how about we change our diet? How about we make some changes that we don't have to mask the pain of heartburn? And lastly, as the band come, it's a road of conviction. Jesus pretends in this story that He's going further and the disciples say, no, 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 please, 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 please stay with us. And what I take from that is this, that Jesus is never going to force Himself on you. He waits for an invitation. He's willing, He's ready, He's present, but He waits for an invitation. He could have just said, I'm coming to your house. No, no, no he, just, he just waits for the invitation. He waits for the hunger. Blessed are the hungry, for they should be filled. If someone's not hungry for what you're offering, they're never going to receive it. And Jesus does just enough to find out where their appetite is and they want Him to come into the home. And Jesus, they're now ready. And while they were in His home, He takes the bread and He breaks it and He hands them the bread. And as He hands them the bread, their eyes are opened. What culminated in that moment of eyes being opened? I believe it was a domino effect. I believe it started with the evidence of the empty tomb. Coupled with the testimony and the witness of the women. Coupled with the word of the angels. Coupled with the going back to the Scriptures. And now coupled with their own personal experience, their eyes were open. They could no longer deny the goodness of God. And with this renewed conviction, they went back. Everyone say, went back. You might be off course now, but the aim is that you'd go back. God wants to get us back on track. He'll meet you in your detour, but He wants to get you back. And here they were, seven miles off course, and they went back. And they went back with a renewed conviction. Why? Because they had a renewed vision. See, what we see is all important. Question, what do you see this morning? Do you see more disappointment? Do you see disappointment more than you see Jesus? Because if you see disappointment more than you see Jesus, it'll affect what you say. Because what you see affects what you say. And what you say affects what you sell. All of us are selling something. Every one of us in this room is selling something. Every time we open our mouth, we're selling something. We might be selling our hurt. We might be selling our pain. We might be selling our disappointment. We may be selling our hatred of a certain person or a certain situation. We're all selling something. But that selling comes from what we say 
And what we say comes from what we see. And it says that Jesus opened their eyes. And my prayer this morning is that our eyes would be opened. Because when our eyes are opened, it changes everything. These disciples on the way to Emmaus were talking about Jesus. They were talking about Him, but with no hope, no faith, like ironing with no heat. Just just talking about Jesus, no hope. Talking about the church with no hope, all its problems. Not doing this, not doing that. No heat in the iron. You can iron all day long, but if there's no heat, you'll never get rid of the wrinkles. So they're talking about Jesus. But when their eyes are opened, they turned around, they went back. But now they're talking about Jesus. Before they were talking about Jesus, but now they're talking about Jesus and it's different. It sounds different because it is different. And now what they're selling is the resurrected Christ. They're selling a hope, whereas before they were selling hopelessness. It's hopeless. They were doing all the same things. They'd seen, they were saying, they were selling one way. And on the way back, they'd seen, they were saying, and they were selling something else. What you see determines what you say, determines what you sell. What do you see this morning? Will you stand with me? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 